insert time of day, ladies and gentlemen, and all in between. How are we doing? Um, welcome to the end of season three of PH5, uh, the end of 2023, wherein we will be discussing my favorite records of the year. Um, so we're going to go through, uh, you know, uh, this is kind of, uh, again, inspired as this whole podcast is inspired by an old, um, an old thing I used to do, uh, writing exercise I used to do for this blog back in the day. Um, and at the end of the year, I would compile what was called the, uh, the Phil's five by five. Which is basically my 25 favorite records. 20, uh, 5 times 5 is 25. For those not up to speed on their multiplication tables. Um, so that's what I, I do here. Um, been kind of following this format for the past two seasons or years or however you want to call it. Um, where I talk about the numbers 25 to 11 on this episode and then uh, a little bit later on maybe like next week or something we'll go into the top 10 uh so fun facts about this particular episode uh traditionally the episode where i talk about 25 to number 11 uh has historically been the least listened to of all seasons of the show uh no one really cares which is totally fair i mean like, it's a shock that you would care about, like, what my 10 favorite records are of the year. So, I mean, caring about, like, 25 to 11, just, like, what does it matter? I don't know, but for me, this is more of an exercise of, like, because I talk about these records already, but, um, I mean, some of the records on this list I actually uh, didn't touch on at all this year some records that maybe I, I found out you know as time went on and uh, the month had already passed by or records that I listened to that randomly just meant more to me as time went on than maybe others that I talked about so it's just kind of interesting to see like how the year shapes out you know like okay sure you know in March of this year those five were my favorite records but now that we're at the end of the year, in the context of everything that happened, in the context of all the amazing music that got released, how much do I actually care about those records in relation to everything else? You know, this whole thing is flawed uh, in so many ways that I've described many, many times now. Um, but I, I guess it's just kind of interesting, to me at least, to see, okay, like... In the context of one month, this is how these records stack up. Uh, but how does that translate in the context of the year? And because of that, you enter situations, again, where uh, records that maybe weren't even in the top five or talked about at all this year end up in the, the top 25 of the year. Or you get a kind of um, opposite effect where, you know, a record that was maybe number one in one of my months doesn't even crack the top 25 whereas maybe other records that came out that month uh did find a way in um which is actually the case uh for this show today 
at least one or two number one records from months past uh, aren't going to be making an appearance at all here today. So, I don't know. To me, that's interesting. It's maybe not interesting to you. Um, but whatever. <laughs> I mean, uh, it's all good. Um, some fun facts about the PH5 show itself, just in terms of numbers. Um, numbers have been, I'll say, somewhat steadily decreasing in terms of listenership over this past year. Uh, I'm not surprised. Um, you know, it's a once a month podcast. Uh, hard to kind of retain committed people when, you know, I'm just not really cranking out that much quote unquote content. Uh, but it, it, it actually doesn't really bother me. I mean, I think as I've mentioned before, uh, I don't, I mean, I'm not doing this to gain listeners or, you know, achieve some sort of fame or anything like that. Like, I'm literally doing this because I want to, and I like music, and I like talking about music, and if one person listens, that's great, you know? If a hundred people listen, that's not gonna happen, but that's great, but that's not really the point, you know? Um, I remember a friend asked me at some point this year, like, so what are your, oh sorry, one point last year, they're like, so what are your plans for your, like, what what are your plans to, for your podcast in the new year? And I was just like, I don't know, just keep doing it. Like, this isn't my, you know, this, this isn't a, an eggs and basket situation. You know, this is just like, I like doing this. Um, I like thinking about music. I like thinking about how the music I listen to relates to my life at the time and just things like that. This is, as as I mentioned very, very, very long time ago in, in, in some of the first episodes, like this is, this is as much like a, like a live journal situation for me as much as it is uh, a music review. So, um, I'm going to keep doing this in 2024. We'll keep it going. And, you know, maybe even less people will listen next year. But that's... Honestly, it's fine with me. This is a, you know, hour, hour and a half commitment every month. I I like the process of, you know, listening to new music and, and, you know, thinking about how I would talk about it once this time comes around. It it allows me to be really critical about what I'm listening to and, and really think about the music instead of having a, a passive approach to the listening so um yeah i mean i'm sure maybe like 10 people in total will ever listen to this episode because uh you know again it, it's it's just historically unpopular but that's okay you know it, it honest to god it doesn't bother me um <laughs> how many times does a guy have to say that something doesn't bother him? Are you convinced yet? <laughs> no, it, it honestly though, it doesn't. It's fine. Um, I'm just happy to still have a set of ears so I can continue listening to the steady great releases that are still coming out. Happy to still have a voice to be able to still talk about them. Um, and it, I don't know, I just like being able to take a more active approach with music as it gets released. Uh, you know, I had a friend of mine 
mentioned to me recently, they're like, oh, you know, um, I don't know, we're talking about Pitchfork's year-end list, which was an exercise in um, pure masochism, to say the least. Uh... You know, and they had mentioned, oh, you know, if anything, this just goes to show that it wasn't really a blockbuster year. And I was like, I don't know if I necessarily agree with that. I mean, I'm about to talk about 25 albums that I really, really enjoyed. You know, like, what a blessing to be able to come across 25 different albums that, in one way or another, meant enough to me that I can talk about them, in some instances, twice. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of great music that came out this year. There's going to be a lot of great music that comes out next year. It's just a matter of how much time and, and effort you're willing to put into seeking that music out. Um, but honestly, it's always worth it. <clears throat> and the point of the show is, uh, I'm doing all the work for you, you know? So, like, you can't tell me that it wasn't a good music, it wasn't a good year for music when... I'm about to tell you about 25 great records, you know? So, you're welcome for that, right? Anyway, so I'll go through the records. Um, I'll try not to repeat myself from what I had talked about in previous months, uh, but I don't even remember that shit anyway, so who knows what's gonna happen here. Uh, it's gonna be fun though, I'm looking forward to reflecting on these, reflecting on the year that I had. Uh, through the lens of these music releases and hopefully you the listener will get something out of this you hear about a record that you uh, weren't aware of or weren't privy to up until this point and if I inspire you to go and check out one new song or one new uh, album then hey I've done my job and I'm happy with that anyway let me have a little sip here Good stuff. And we're ready to rock and roll. Okay, so thank you again to everyone who still stuck around uh, to listen through my 10-minute uh, monologue about nothing to introduce the show. We're going to get into it now. So, without any further ado, here is the number 25 to number 11 album of PH5 2023. Mm, Could have done a better job introducing that, but you get the idea. Okay, so, uh, starting out at the very, very bottom, uh, which isn't a bad thing, you know, because there's like probably 10,000s of records releases here, uh, and of those, you know, this record still managed to make the cut of 25 that I really, really liked enough to talk about, so shouts out. At number 25, we have Jesus Peace with dot 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 so unknown very dramatic title one of my favorite parts about the record to be honest with you uh like just oh wow that's so unknown you know <laughs> damn whoa these guys are so unknown it's kind of a cool thing like maybe we should be integrating that into our kind of like slang or vernacular you know like saying shit is yo, that shit is unknown you know like like that shit is sick it's unknown an idea we can consider uh anyway so this album for me is almost 
entirely here because of uh, the gym. <laughs> uh, it, it's just probably the best like gym record for the year. You know, I'm not talking like short form for James. I'm talking about like gymnasium. You know, like working out. Uh, you know, it's a really intense hardcore record that is just like you know heavy mosh part after heavy mosh part. And damn, I mean, when you're when you're running on that treadmill or you're you know lifting those weights or whatever the fuck, uh, this shit just hits. You know, it hits different, and it really makes you feel like, oh yeah, you know what? I can I can go that extra one minute. You know, or. I can add an extra five pounds onto this and uh, I'm gonna kill it because this music's got me feeling really pissed off and really aggro and I just wanna fucking lift that weight now, you know? Like, oh yeah, oh yeah, damn yeah, lift the weight, oh fuck, this is so heavy, yeah, I'm going off, yeah! It's like that kind of shit. Um, and, you know, it, it's very functional in that aspect. But functional is, is great, you know, like so much of music we can enjoy and have that kind of passive relationship with where we really like it, but it doesn't really, you know, like, we can't really use it as a tool for what we are doing in our lives. Uh, this is an example of music as a tool, you know, music as, uh, you know, like a 500 milligram of caffeine uh, energy drink right to the fucking skull just to get you fucking pumped up ready to just kick some ass like fuck yeah you know like uh um yeah you know just like get you amped up and i remember that jesus peace was one of the first shows that i saw this year uh back in i think it was february on that absolutely insane show me the body uh jesus peace zulu and scowl yeah that that tour which was again what a crazy start to the year that was you know just in terms of setting the tone for uh the music that would be coming out and the shows that i would be seeing and uh just the kind of things that i'd be really getting into um but it was yeah uh one of the like if you get a chance to see these guys live you know that like really what am i doing this just now and i'm going like yeah like fuck yeah uh, like, it's like the, the live show equivalent of that action. So, um, yeah, I mean, amazing live show, amazing gym record for sure. And if you really just want to, like, you know, get into that zone, um, like you're about to, like, go and fight someone or something, you definitely want to put this record on. Ideally, you have this record playing in the background while you're fighting them, because you will beat the fucking shit out of them, you beat fucking shit it's like that kind of shit. So, coming in at number 25, we have Jesus Peace with dot dot dot, so unknown. Okay, number 24, we have 100 Gex with 10,000 Gex. What's next, 100,000 Gex? Yeah, I mean, like, that is what's next. Like, you know, that's... They've basically you know, confirmed that, you know, the next record will be 100,000 Gex, so, uh, kind of a dumb joke, because it's not even a joke, that's just, that's just, that's what it is, really, you know, uh, that's how it's gonna go. So this was, uh, probably the stupidest record of the year, um, really, really, really dumb, but, uh, I think we as a society have 
um, really kind of undervalued dumbness. <laughs> Not in like an ignorant way, but I just mean like silly dumb shit, you know? Um, there's really a time and place for silly nonsense. I think it's really important to have silly ridiculous nonsense, uh, especially in this kind of world of absolute absurdity that we experience on a day-to-day -day basis where we're being kind of, you know, we, we live through silly absurd nonsense on a day-to-day -day basis, but we're expected to take it at face value and take it seriously. Um, 100 Gex makes music that is really stupid and silly and dumb, but you're not supposed to take it seriously. Like, it's this is obviously just a stupid joke. Um, and as soon as you kind of realize that, you become free and you learn to love the Gex instead of hate the Gex, which is uh, an easy way out for, you know, all the fucking, you know, stuck up nerds out there who, you know, need their music to, you know, like, sound like the fucking national or whatever. Um, this is just crazy silliness. You know, there's a there's a song on here about a, a frog. I don't, I don't know, at a, at a house party and it's filled with like frog noises, ribbiting. Um, this is an album that, uh, you know, interpolates ska, like in a few songs. Um, new metal influences abound, just the most disgusting, dumbass, like, you know, cock rock riffs. Um, like a silly rapping about, like, you know, cooking his, people's dads for dinner and shit. Um, and it all kind of comes to a head with Silly or Not, one of my absolute favorite songs of the year. Um, I got my tooth removed. If you haven't heard this song, I'm telling you, like, this is, this is the apex of, uh, like, quality stupidity. It's, like, a perfect... Like, like, to the T, uh, send up of, you know, like, third wave, uh, west coast ska, of all those, like, you know, idiot bros making ska about chicks who suck or whatever, that was really popular in, like, the late 90s and early 2000s, uh, but they, you know, they made it about a tooth, I mean, we've been there, we've all had toothaches, uh, and, you know, their, their idea was to deal with a toothache by making a, uh, a ska song about it. So, God love them. Um, I, I, I wasn't really sure what to think about these guys before this album came out. I, I knew of them, obviously. I, I kind of respected what they were doing, but this was an album that really just completely sold me on them and just made me feel like you know, I can be, like, you can play this album for, well, most parts anyway, for, like, a four-year-old, um, and, you know, they would probably love it. Like, it, it's one of those records that are, like, you know those, like, children's toys, where they say, like, for ages two to two hundred, or some shit like that? Like, this is it, although I wouldn't show this to a, a two-hundred-year-old, because I think one listen of this album would make them disintegrate, you know, just spontaneously combust. Um, it, it's, it, in a, in a, you know, a, not to pull the obvious bait here, but I'm gonna do it anyway. But in a year full of, uh, really horrifying shit kind of happening at every turn, 
<laughs> common theme for the past few years now, I guess. Uh, this album was just a nice reprieve. You know, a nice, like... You can shake the sillies out with this one, and we really needed that, I think. Um, yeah, so thank you to the Gex for this ridiculous bullshit. I really appreciate it. So, coming in at number 24, we have 100 Gex with 10,000 Gex. 10,000 Gex. Did anyone ever play Gex for uh, Nintendo 64? Um, apparently they're uh, going to be releasing it on the uh, Switch thingy just as a heads up. Great game. Can't wait to play it. And coming in at number 23, we have George Clanton with Urapaya. So this is a record that, uh, this will be the first of a few albums that I did not mention uh, at any point this year. Uh, it, it came out earlier in the year, kind of like springish, summerish. Uh, it wasn't on my radar at all until a few months later, where I kind of picked it up during, I don't know what month it was, it was like, I don't know, maybe it was August or July or something. One of those months where like basically nothing good came out. Um, so I was, you know, kind of like digging into the archives to see what else I could have possibly found. And this was a record that uh, I came across that I was just completely entranced with for, for a while. Um, I would best describe this as like, like pop vaporwave. Like what he's doing is pretty, it's pretty obvious. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, you know, it's it's really, really, really heavily influenced, and I don't even want to say influenced because it's basically what it is. Um, that really interesting kind of movement of pop music in the '90s, with a uh, kind of like your your big beat drums and your really kind of like hazy guitars, and just like a unafraid to be as cheesy as possible. Um, in you know your your composition of the songs and this album really reminds me of a uh, I had this weird phase a few years ago where I got kind of really into Enigma uh, Enigma was one of those artists that was pretty heavily featured on like pure moods I don't know if anyone remembers pure moods but just like that early to mid 90s like late night almost like new age kind of music uh enigma had that song um uh, like sodiness you know and it was like doo, 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 and he would always have like like pan flutes playing over like trip-hop drums um but his most famous song was the one um return to innocence uh you would know the song if i uh if, like, if you were to hear it, you'd know exactly the song I'm talking about. It's the one that starts off, well, not starts, like, it starts off, but it, the whole kind of, the theme of the song is that sample of, I think he's a Mongolian throat singer. Um, and it's the whole, like, Like, you know that shit? You, you, you totally know what I'm talking about if you heard it. Just the most, like, 
over the top, cheesy, corny, whatever, but it kind of fucking ruled in its way of just like how bought into the sound um, the Enigma guy was. Anyway, you can tell that George Clanton really fucks with Enigma, but you can also tell that he really fucks with like Backstreet Boys and shit. And what you get is this really interesting, like, like, almost like shoegaze, trip-hop, vaporwave, pop, something. I don't even know how to really describe what it is, but it sounds exactly like a combination of all that kind of crazy pop that was strangely popular in the 90s. And he really straddles the line between, like, earnestness and parody. Uh, you can really see that in the music video for, um... Fuck, what's the song called? I've Been Young, which is a massive banger, by the way. Great track, if you haven't heard that song, you have to listen to that one. Um, where he's obviously kind of parody parodying, like, you know, the big Madchester music videos. Uh, kind of mixed with, like, Backstreet Boys, like, um, quit playing games with my heart, like, them dancing in the rain with, like, you know, the clothes are wet and all this kind of stuff. And it just really brings you right back to that time, that, like, MTV, late night music video period. And, but instead of just being, like, a, you know, kind of, kind of existing merely as a you know, funhouse version of that style of music. He's actually a pretty good songwriter too, and the songs are are good. So, you know, it's not just kind of this like, oh haha, ha, I see what you did there. It's like, this is actually enjoyable to listen to. It sounds great, and uh, he knows exactly what he's going for, and, and he nails it. Um, I think this is a pretty exciting new artist. I'm, I'm really stoked to see what happens next with him. And, uh, yeah. He looks cool, too. So, that's cool. <laughs> uh, the name's a bit confusing, because it sounds like George Clinton. And it does not sound anything like George Clinton. Um, but, anyway. So, number 23, we have George Clinton, Urapaya. So, and that's ooh, like O-O-O, rap, like R-A-P-I... Then uh, Y A like Urapaya, 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 Urapaya. Number twenty one for twenty twenty three, we have "Isn't It Now" by Animal Collective. So, again. This is a record that I haven't gone back to a ton, per se. Um, again, just the nature of kind of doing this podcast is I don't have a lot of opportunities to, you know, go back to records and, and listen to, you know, things that came out because I'm always trying to, you know, stay up to date with what's been released so that I make sure that I'm giving you guys the best records I can every month. But... At the end of the day, you see that Animal Collective clearly still got it. That time skips from last year was not just a one-off fluke. Uh, you've got, you know, two records in two years that are great from this band that many had basically written off, to be honest. 
uh, based on their kind of post centipede herds output. So while this isn't necessarily maybe a record I'm going to listen to all the time, um, what it is to me is, you know, it, it represents the fact that this, I'd say one of the great indie bands of all time, uh, still have some gas in the tank and they're still able to produce some fantastic music and you know as someone who you know was a huge fan of them for large part of my 20s um it was really hard to see them kind of release all the shit that they were releasing so it's just a nice relief to see them back making great music is it as good as their peak of course not but at the same time, it's it's still really great. And you gotta love that, you know? Like, how many bands, how many artists, you know, what, 20 years into their career are still capable of producing really good music? Not that many. Not many, I mean, most don't last that long. And if they do, they're, you know, kind of resting on their laurels and their legacy. Uh, but this is clearly a band that wants to keep moving, you know, and keep evolving and keep creating. So, you know, shout out to them. And uh, I'm, I'm glad that they don't suck anymore. Basically, that's what this is representative of. Me just being glad that they don't suck anymore. So, coming in at number 22 for 2023 is Animal Collective Isn't It Now. Number 2021 for the year, we have MS Paint Post-American. And this is a record that I... It was, it was one of my mentions from earlier this year. I remember I had an episode where I was just like gushing over hardcore. And I just wanted to mention these guys in this record as one of the interesting examples of a band that, you know, is taking the genre and pushing it into fascinating, strange new places. And I mentioned this one along with the Gel record and the Zulu record. Um, and the reason that this particular record is the one that stands out to me from those and um, from many of the hardcore records that came out this year is because it's really not a hardcore record at all. Um, I, it is, but it, it isn't. You know, I saw these guys. They were kind of special guest openers for uh, Military Gun and Scowl when I saw them back in October. And I remember thinking, like, what what a crazy bill this is. The, the hardcore shows I saw this year were insane. Just, like, the diversity and the kind of eclecticism of the, the music in that genre right now is just off the charts. Like, it's it's amazing. But um, seeing them and seeing the, the lead vocalist, Dee Dee, on stage and his very kind of crazy commanding presence with his wild hair kind of going all over the place and, um, you know, just his, his big physical presence taking up so much space. And it's a... It really dawned on me that this is a really unique band that is doing something completely different than what anyone else is doing right now. Like, there's a closer analog to, I don't know, a band like Arab Radar than there is to maybe any other band. Like, 
they are, again, there's no guitars, it's all keyboard, and Dee Dee doesn't exactly, you know, yell or scream that hardcore way, but he kind of like has this very monotone delivery that like verges almost on rap, but but isn't quite. And it's it's catchy in this really strange kind of monotonic way because there's not a ton of melody going on in this album. Um, he kind of delivers all of his lines in the exact same tone, exact same cadence, but there's so much like sincerity in what this band is doing that you can't help but kind of be charmed by it. And again, seeing them on stage and, and seeing the kind of commanding presence that they held and the way that the audience reacted to their music just really hammered home. Like, this is a special new kind of type of music and new type of band that I think could really make waves in the future. And when it comes to debut records, like, you couldn't ask for a better one. Um, just in terms of setting the table for what it is that this band has to offer. Uh, this is, again, one of this crop of very exciting, not quite hardcore bands that I think are really going to shape the landscape of quote-unquote rock music for um, many years to come. So, yeah, you heard it here first. Well, no, you, like, you probably could have heard it anywhere else first, because... You know, they've been pretty popular and pretty renowned this year. But my point being, keep your eye on MS Paint. Um, not the app, but the band. So, coming in at number 21, we have MS Paint Post-American. Number 20, we have JPEG Mafia and Danny Brown scaring the hose. Don't really love saying this album title, but uh, these guys have actually made a record that is worth the kind of cringe-worthy album title that uh, uh, is is a uh, you know titled it. Could have said that better. Um, as a as a quick, not necessarily related to this note, I will say that uh, you know. Something that I've noticed when putting together my list this year and looking back uh, on this year is that hip-hop and rap have, have kind of, like, made a resurgence in my life. Um, in my 20s, you know, it was arguably my favorite genre, um, and I listened to a lot of rap. Like, almost exclusively for a while there, it was kind of my thing. Um, you know, obviously you always love heavy music more than anything else in the world, but hip-hop was really important to me, and it really defined who I was for that period of time. And over the past few years, I just kind of felt my love for it really dwindling and kind of falling away, and like, I look back on previous years, and there's been maybe one or two rap records that really stood out to me. Um... But this year, I, I look at it, and I think I've got four four hip-hop records on here, which is definitely, you know, a, a big step up from where we've been in previous years. And I, I try to question, like, why is that exactly? And I think what's interesting to note is that 
you know, the past few years are when hip-hop really hit its kind of commercial peak. Um, you know, hip-hop dominated the charts for a long time, but... It, it, it's when we got to a point of, like, super saturation that I found my interest in it really kind of dwindling and falling away. Um, so as hip-hop has kind of fallen out of, you know, commercial and critical favor, uh, at least in terms of the mainstream stuff, that's when you get really interesting non-mainstream hip-hop, and that's when the, you know, the good shit starts coming back. And I think I touched on this on um, one of my previous episodes of this year, but, uh, you know, everything's a pendulum. Oh, excuse me, bit of a burp situation there. But, uh, you know, everything's a pendulum and everything swings back and forth culturally. So, you know, hip hop had its time in the mainstream, in the spotlight, and it's slowly gonna swing back away, but this is always extremely healthy for the independent acts within that genre because uh, the market isn't kind of saturated and the market isn't pouring all of their resources into a few artists anymore because those particular artists don't have the commercial viability that they used to. So instead, you get a little bit more even distribution of resources. The underground scenes become healthier because, you know, liking that particular genre or whatever maybe becomes cool again. And you have artists that are trying to push the genre forward because they've seen how stale it's gotten due to its success on the mainstream charts. And every you know, artists within that genre trying to sound like the next big, the, the big thing that's out there so they can capitalize as much as possible on that sound, um, you know, while it's still popular. So the less popular a genre is, the better music is going to be made within that genre. It's kind of my, uh, thesis. So, uh, that's kind of where I think this is stemming from. Um... You know, the, the big trap sound that really defined the mid to late 2020s, sorry, 2010s, um, it's just gotten old, it's gotten stale, people are kind of over it, it's all skirting to sound the same. Um, hip-hop's big kind of juggernauts that are, you know, the, the genre kind of relies on to push it all forward, have you know, increasingly diminished returns from the music. For example, you know, Drake, Travis Scott, although I will say, and I hate to admit it, but the Scary Hours 3 songs that Drake released, fucking fire, yo, that shit was dope. Uh, but, you know, pretend I didn't say that, but I really like them. Um, anyway, my point being, JPEG Mafia and Danny Brown are artists that have always kind of existed at the fringes of the genre anyway. Um, you know, operating in a space outside of the mainstream. And this record really seems like a chaotic, like, like I wouldn't be surprised if they just got together for the weekend, got super fucked up and like made it one weekend. Because that's what it sounds like. Like this is, this is as much like a, noisy collage record as it is a hip-hop record um danny brown released his own you know solo record 
this year, um, a month ago or whatever, uh, Coranta, which was literally the exact opposite of this album. Um, it was very kind of introspective and sobering, uh, whereas Scaring the Hose is just absolutely chaotic and kind of suited out of its mind. Um, you know, shout out to Danny for releasing the introspective, you know, um, kind of depressing record that he, I guess he feel like he had to do that. But, you know, in terms of just like pure exhilaration and excitement, um, no real hip hop record came close to this one this year. So, uh, it was one that I was hesitant to even listen to because never been a fan of JPEG Mafia. Danny Brown disappointed me one too many times over the last few years, but I'm really glad that I did because uh, this record is nuts. It's a lot of fun, and it seems it sees both of them kind of at the best that they sounded in years. So uh, I'm not saying that this record is responsible for reigniting my love for hip hop. That's really solely because of two people that I'll be getting into a little bit later, um, but. You know, as my passion for the genre did kind of get reignited a little bit this year, this was one of those records that I was really happy to come across and, uh, you know, put that newfound love into. So, coming in at number 20, we have JPEG Mafia and Danny Brown scaring the hose. Let's pretend it's like, like they're scaring like a hose, like a water hose, you know? And like, picturing a scene where two of them are like, you know, like jumping out of bushes to try and scare this like water hose on the lawn. I think that's funnier, personally. And at number 19, we have Horrendous with Ontological Mysterium. Uh, this is a record that I've seen kind of top a lot of metal specific year-end lists this year and i totally get it honestly i totally totally get it um i think if you were to say in terms of just like a the best straight up metal album of the year yeah you have a really really good argument that this is the one because what they've done here is they've they've really fully realized the horrendous sound um in in the best way possible uh you know, this is an album that takes its cues as much from thrash metal as it does from prog metal and death metal, and it, it really does combine um, so many different genres of metal music in a very, very satisfying, complete-sounding way. Um, you could also argue that the, the first song on here, I forget what it's called right now, but uh, it's the metal track of the year. Yeah, you could certainly make an argument for that. It really sets the tone for the record and just kicks so much ass. Uh, I showed this to a coworker of mine, this record, and he became absolutely obsessed with it. They're like his new favorite band now. And they're like kind of one of those bands that you can do that. Like, they're very, very in, like, in a strictly metal way, very, very, like people pleasing you know they kind of they hit all the right notes for like a metal fan you know they've they've got your crazy harsh vocals you know they've got sick solos 
um, fantastic bass lines. Again, like they just hit so many different kind of genre cues throughout the record. Um, it, it's just an extremely satisfying metal record. I would say the most, maybe, yeah, the most satisfying metal record of the year, for sure. Um, I have kind of more tendency to like specific subgenres of metal that I, I, I just am naturally drawn towards. And, you know, some records that uh, fall within these specific subgenres end up being ones that I place higher on this list, um, just because of personal preference. Again, all that this stupid little list is, is personal preference. There's nothing objective about this at all. We all know this by now. Uh, but if there was to be any objectivity involved, you know, this would probably be pretty high on the list of best metal records of the year, because it just, it scratches every itch you could possibly want as a metal fan from a metal album. I just happen to like different things a little bit more. But anyway, coming in at number 19 for 2023, we have Horrendous Ontological Mysterium. Coming in at number 18, we have Heavy Heavy by Young Fathers. Now this was a record that I didn't talk about this year prior, but it's not an instance like George Clinton where I found the record um, a little bit later on after it was released, so I wasn't able to kind of capture it in that episode. Um, the fact is I literally just kind of forgot about this record. I think this came out in uh, it was, I think it was February, maybe March, and it came out and I loved it and I, I wanted to talk about it, but I, I don't even know what happened when I was just putting together, you know, the, the list of records I wanted to talk about that particular month, I just kind of forgot to put this on there and I just completely missed it. And that was my bad, uh, because this is a really, really cool, fascinating record that, uh, really brought me a lot of joy um, when it came out. And enjoy being the integral word here. Uh, you know, you hear the title heavy, heavy, and you think, oh, this is going to be, you know, some heavy shit, <laughs> obviously. Um, but the title's a bit of a red herring because this is uh, some of the lightest music that I heard this year. Um, some of the lightest music that young fathers themselves have released. It's really hard to describe what kind of music this is exactly because it's it's certainly catchy and it, it's poppy in the sense that it, it's catchy and it's bright and very positive but uh in terms of song structure this thing is really all over the place i mean some of these songs are essentially only just kind of one part basically looped over and over again um you know with different elements kind of added in and taken away as the song progresses you know some songs on here kind of go from one part to a completely different disparate part to another part to something else entirely um and it almost always makes sense and even when it doesn't make sense there's this kind of like unbridled passion and happiness that kind of 
ties everything together so that it doesn't even really need to make sense. You just, you listen to it and you feel good. And that's what this record is really all about. It's about love and joy and happiness and just about feeling good. Uh, you know, again, certainly a bomb to many of the troubling times that we encountered this year. Uh, so they are a London-based group, though uh, two of their members do have roots in Africa, and you hear a lot of uh, those African roots coming out in this record. Um, there's a lot of Eulalism, um, there's a lot of kind of African instrumentation, but what's really interesting about this record is just how noisy it is, too. Uh, typically when you think of noise, you think of abrasion and you know chaos and all that but they employ noise in this bizarrely joyful way where basically it's like we're having a good time let's just try and make as much of a racket as we possibly can to kind of echo the you know positive and and, and, the, and the good things that we feel inside of us uh, I've never really seen noise um, it, noise em employed this way before. Uh, noise always has this connotation of being kind of, you know, not ne necessarily negative, but, you know, there's a bit of darkness to noise for sure. But they really use it, uh, you know, it's like the noise of a sunrise, if that makes any sense. It doesn't make sense, but if you listen to this record, I think a noisy sunrise is the best way to describe the music that you're hearing. Uh, it's a cool record with, you know, a few highlights, kind of a few duds, but again, it's all done with so much conviction that you can't help but be charmed by it, you can't help but be swept up in that joy, and, uh, you know, you're gonna finish this record with a smile on your face, no matter what happens, and, uh, that's hard to do. So, coming in at number, what are we at, 18, we have Young Fathers, Heavy Heavy. Number 17, we have Boldy James, Indiana Jones. Uh, Boldy is the second best rapper on the planet right now. Easily, bar none. Um, there's only one person who's better than him. We'll get to him later. Uh, but the, just, how consistent Boldy James is and has been over the past three to four years is just insane like every record that he puts out and he usually puts out three to four a year are either really good to excellent um and, and there's no dips in quality um he's just that good so this record came out in january um it was kind of the first record that came out this year that i really latched on to being like yeah like this is a great record, like, and, you know, I, I bring this up when I talked about it in January, like, the first record of any year that you really love is, is such relief, you know, because, at least for me, like, I, I start every new year and I'm like, maybe this is the year that I stop really loving music the way that I have my whole life. Um, and until you hear a new album that really does it for you, you know, there's that lingering anxiety about that. And this was, you know, the first record of the year that really 
kind of made me feel relieved and made me know that like, okay, my, my passion for this is still here. Like I still like this. And even better that it ended up being, you know, a rap album. Cause again, that's something that I haven't been super drawn to lately, but Boldy James really is that guy. Um, now the only kind of drawback about this is that this is the only record that he releases here. I think he had like an EP out or something like that. But again, for a guy that kind of deals in the multi albums a year with high quality kind of across the board, it was a bit of a disappointment that he only released one this year. Um, until I realized the reason that he had done so was because he had been in a really bad car accident. And this happened right around the time that this album dropped. So it's like, okay, fair enough. Like, <laughs> you're excused, I guess. Um, but the good news is that Boldy dropped a new song uh, a week or two ago. And it looks like he's going to be coming in hot for 2024. So while 2023, he may have only just released this very good record, um, and that was it, uh, it looks like 2024 will be Boldy's year yet again. So I'm really excited for that because, again, when it comes to just consistent, great music, um, no one else except one other guy is doing it like him right now. Uh, great record, again, um, one of my favorite records, hip-hop records of the year, and I am so excited for Boldy's return in 2024, where I know he's just going to take over yet again, like he does on a consistent basis. So, number 17, we have Indiana Jones by Boldy James. Number 16... We have uh, James Holden with one of my favorite album titles of the year. Imagine this is a high dimensional space of all possibilities. Okay, yeah, I, I can imagine that. Uh, kind of an insane album title, but one that weirdly makes a lot of sense when you listen to the record. Um, this is another record that I did not mention uh, before this year. Um, it, it's one of those that I kind of latched onto a little bit later than it was released, so I didn't have an opportunity to talk about it. Um, but I've been dying to get to the end of the year so that I have an opportunity to mention this record because this is a really, really fascinating album to me. Um, so James Holden, he's an electronic artist based out of somewhere in the, uh, the British Isles. Don't tell me which one, I'm not sure. Uh, and he's made music that has kind of drawn the line between like organic and, and electronic for a long time now kind of dealing in this interesting space almost like paganism um where like the kind of spiritual nature of well nature itself is really important to him and his music and this record kind of continues that trend. I mean, the album cover itself is this kind of really cute and fun cartoon of like all these animals around this like bonfire or whatever. And you can almost, when listening to this, get the sense or, or feel like you can imagine like a forest rave that all the animals are in and dancing to. Like weirdly enough, that's kind of what this album sounds like. Um, he's mentioned that this album was inspired by like memories of raves that he 
went to or wanted to go to as a younger child. And there's, there's a lot of that kind of childlike wonder in this record. Um, and you, you, you kind of get a sense of what he's talking about because it's electronic music. There There's definitely dancey elements to it. But the whole thing has this kind of um, surreal nature to it where... It, it, it sounds great on drugs, by the way. Um, where it, it just kind of feels... Like a little bit out of touch. Just a little bit out of reach. You know, kind of like when you wake up in the morning and you, you have this vague, distant memory of the dream that you just had. And like you desperately want to remember that dream, and, but you can't quite get there. Um, a lot of this music sounds like that, but not necessarily in a bad way, not in that like longing, like damn, I wish I could have remembered it kind of way, but more in, just in that like, like a memory that's just out of touch is what this album sounds like. And I know I'm speaking in like incredibly abstract terms here, but you listen to it and, and trust me, it'll make sense. Um, it's a, it's a long hour plus record that has stretches that can be occasionally fairly difficult, but if you really kind of let yourself get captivated and, and swept away by this record, it uh, it, it it it's really moving and uh, just you know really doesn't sound like anything else that I've listened to this year. So coming in at number sixteen, we have. James Holden, imagine this is a high-dimensional space of all possibilities. Number 15, so we're coming up just five records left to talk about on this episode. Number 15, we have Jerome's Dream, The Grey In Between. So Jerome's Dream is a one of those screamo bands from you know the late 90s early 2000s that released a record or two that really helped to shape and define that screamo landscape before just kind of disappearing and uh a weirdly big trend has been screamo bands kind of reuniting um and playing shows or releasing new music like screamo bands specifically from that era um this year and and last year too but it's just strange how they've all kind of decided at the same time like hey let's uh let's come back um page 99 who i saw earlier this year and uh got concussed as a result of city of caterpillar who released their great comeback record last year um orchid who just announced that they are reuniting and playing um at a festival in toronto among dates next year which i'm very excited for and then there's jerome's dream who came back and uh released this really really cool comeback record this year um they dealt in kind of harsh lo-fi kind of chaotic screamo back in their day and this record really kind of continues where they left off. Um, their sound has been only slightly polished up. Uh, it's still super abrasive, still super heavy and, and, and chaotic. Uh, and you wouldn't even know that, you know, almost 20 years have passed since his band's last album. They still have that same 
kind of desperate energy to them. They still kind of hold that same, you know, haunting, unsettling feeling when you're listening to their music. And you could argue that this is maybe their best record yet, which again is incredibly impressive considering that it's been, you know, decades since these guys were last around. Um, you know, in, in a year where I think Screamo has really kind of made a resurgence alongside Hardcore, uh, this was one of the bands that really kind of encapsulated that. And um, I just hope they go on tour so I get to see them as well, because I'm just trying to check off all of those legendary Screamo bands live shows. Saw page 99. I'll be seeing Orca next year. And uh, Drums Dream, I want to see you guys next. So please come to Toronto. So, coming in at number 15, we have The Grey In Between by Jerome's Dream. Okay, so, coming in at number 14, we have Naomi Sharon with Obsidian. Quick aside, okay, so, SZA, uh, I bring this up because, you know, fellow R&B artist, um, you know, dropped SOS in December of last year. Not too far in December, it was only like the 9th or something like that that the album came out. Uh, I had it featured on my year-end list last year. Great record. Um, one of my favorites of the year. But it came out last year, so it was in my year-end list for last year. Uh, Pitchfork, I can't believe I'm bringing up these motherfuckers again. Uh, released their year-end list for this year just last week. And SZA was number one. Yo, what the fuck? That album came out last year. How can that shit be number one for this year? I mean, I get it, you know, because everyone's so eager to get their lists out as soon as possible. Um, they're just trying to, uh, you know, factor in SZA because it was a great record. They had their list out before the album came out last year. So, okay, sure, fine, but it's like, why do y'all hold the fuck off on your year-end lists until the actual end of the year? Um, because maybe a, a SZA will drop, and you look like fools for not including it, and then you look also more like fools for including it as your favorite of the next year. When did it even come out that year? Silly shit. And I realize, uh, that I am kind of talking to my own ass here because I am doing my own, um, favorite records of the year list well before the year is over but uh you know i, I don't know <laughs> don't really know what my point there is but anyway like shout out to SZA, but come on the record came out last year it can't be your favorite of this year that's just silliness so naomi sharon uh definitely my favorite r&b record of the year really really low-key um moody stuff that just kind of touched a nerve that nothing else really did this year for me um, I think she's really onto something cool. Uh, there's not enough kind of Sade-esque music coming out these days, or at least not enough that I'm super familiar with. Um, so this was a really nice breath of fresh air for me. Um, she's a really talented songwriter. The production was really on point and just beautiful throughout. I loved the kind of inclusion of you know, mixing in kind of Afro beats with uh, this kind of quiet storm type of R&B. It's just really, really cool. And you can tell listening to the record, she's just getting started too. Like, this got really, 
next to no acclaim. Like, no one really talked about it. And I'm, I'm shocked by that because it was a really great record that I'm sure a lot of people would have loved had they heard about it. But, you know, I guess that's what happens when you're signed to Drake's label and, uh, you know, he's the only one that really gets any kind of attention there. So maybe move on from OVO, find a new label, and get the respect that you deserve, Naomi, because uh, you absolutely deserve it, because you're a star and you got big things coming. So coming in at number 14, we have Naomi Sharon with Obsidian. Number 13, we have Dreamwell. In my saddest dreams, I'm beside you. Oh, what's so sad? I think I did the exact same thing um, when I talked about this record the first time uh, in November or October or whatever. Uh, yeah, Screamo album of the year for me, I think. Uh, these guys take a genre that is pretty, I don't want to say easy, but like, you know, you, it, you can make a screamo song by just having a few abrasive chords and some screaming, and it doesn't even need to be long. You can have it like 45 seconds, and as long as you play it with enough emotion, um, you've got a good screamo song in your hands, you know? It's definitely a genre that's fueled a lot more by just um, visceral outpourings of emotion than, you know, maybe things that other genres like, like song structure and progression and things like that but Dreamwell is a band that you know takes the foundations of Screamo and like the emotional baggage that comes with it and applies kind of more complex song structures and um, more disparate influences to come into their music like noise rock and, and metalcore and plus all your average like you know twinkly post-rock kind of things but they're a band that has a lot of personality, I'd say, that shines through in their really interesting songwriting choices and um, just willingness to go for it. Like, they're just as content to release a two-minute song as they're to release, like, a seven-minute song. And, you know, they're just as content to sound like Every Time I Die as they are to sound like, you know, I don't know, fucking... I don't know, another band. <laughs> uh, uh, disregard that one. But I really do think that they're one of the more interesting Screamo acts that are out right now. This is a really cool, unique record uh, that I was fortunate enough to get to see live. Um, and the live show is amazing. Lead singer is pretty tall, which is always cool. So yeah, great band, great music. If you like this kind of thing, uh, they're ambitious in a way that's, uh, it's a different kind of ambition for the genre that I just would love to see a lot more of. So shout out to them. So that is number 13, Dream Well In My Saddest Dreams, I'm Beside You. They love dreams, baby. Number 12, we have Dodd Imes Guard with Black Medium Current. And this was a record I think was either a mention or an honorable mention um, on the month that it came out. This is definitely the record that grew on me the most throughout the year. There was just something about it that made me keep coming back to it and really had me intrigued and just wanting to re-listen and go back to hear the bizarre, strange 
musical choices that this band makes throughout this entire record. Um, it's, I guess, rooted in black metal, but there are times that sound like, I don't know, Van Halen. There are times that <laughs> really just sound like things that you've never even kind of imagined before. They're, they're, they're a band that you can tell has been around for a long time, and because of their longevity, uh, has taken to mining really strange depths in order to um, keep releasing music that's fresh and music that's interesting. And in terms of just being interesting and, and like having crazy interesting uh, songwriting choices all over the place, this is definitely uh, the metal album that takes the biggest risks for sure. Um, it's kind of like the opposite of the horrendous album. The horrendous album, like, brings in a lot of things that are familiar for you to be satisfying and make it enjoyable for you. Whereas this album takes the opposite approach, where it brings in things that are strange and unexpected and goes routes that you would not anticipate in order to be satisfying and enjoyable. And in that sense, to me, it was more successful. Um, I mean, I just kind of like weird shit, and this was an album fucking chock-full of weird shit. So if kind of strange, questionable choice metal is up your alley, then no album's gonna do it for you this year than this one. So, number 12, we have Dodd Guard, Black Medium Current. And the last record we will talk about today, number 11, we have Fiddlehead with Death Is Nothing To Us. Uh, this was a record that when it came out at the time, I was just fucking obsessed with and I loved it to death. And I honestly thought it could have, um, you know, album of the year possibilities, capabilities. Um, a little bit heavier than their last record, Between the Richness. It kind of sounds almost a little bit more hardcore than post-hardcore at a lot of times in the record. And you can tell that um, Pat Flynn, the vocalist, is really coming from a place of a lot of pain in a lot of these songs and, and really needed to write this record as kind of a, an exorcism of these kind of midlife crisis feelings that he's having, you know, as a father and a middle-aged man in this crazy world. Um, as time's gone on, I, I, I didn't quite end up returning to it as much as I thought I would. I still love it every time I listen to it. Don't feel compelled to listen to it a lot of the time. Um, there's maybe another record or two that scratch a somewhat familiar itch for me, just in a more satisfying way, I guess. But every time I put this record on, I am still floored by just the intense emotionality of it, um, just the excellent songwriting, um, kind of that blend of melody and, and harshness that Fiddlehead and their kind of maturity are able to bring. And um, I still think that one song that I can't remember the name of, which is not a good thing. Actually, you know what? I'm going to look it up because it is important enough for me to look it up. And I am currently killing time as I 
do so. Um, yeah, Sullen Boy. Really one of the best songs of the year, um, just in terms of kind of the story that Pat tells in the lyrics of, you know, being depressed as a, as a middle-aged father and, you know, dealing with that and then, you know, understanding the importance that you have in your life um, for your kids. Um, sorry, the importance that you have in their kids' lives that, you know, you need to fight through these feelings. You need to see the value that your children bring and the value that you have to them. And, you know, just understanding that at the end of the day, you know, my kids are my light and I need to stay strong for them. And to contain all of this in just one, you know, post-hardcore song is, is, is a lot. But he does it so effectively with really one of the, the best bridges, and emotionally charged bridges of the whole year. Um, it's a really special song. And the rest of the album's great too, but really that song to me is, is a, a centerpiece and an absolute highlight of the whole year. Um, and you can tell the whole album's kind of built around that one song and a lot of the themes that's, that are established on it. So, amazing record. Just, just didn't quite crack the top 10. Um, but honestly, a, a, a true, yet another masterpiece by Fiddlehead, which is really one of the greatest bands going today. So, that covers 25 to 11. Whew, it's a lot to talk about. Um, let's give it a few days. Let me gather my final thoughts, and uh, we will finish off the year of PH5 with the top 10. Thanks for listening. Uh... Yeah, that's going to be it for me today. Going to go have a shower, uh, have some dinner, you know, enjoy the rest of my night. So thank you as always. This is Phil May signing off from PH5. Bye-bye.